Welcome back to TV's Top 5, the Hollywood Reporter's TV podcast. I'm Leslie Goldberg, West Coast TV editor, and I'm joined, as usual, by my partner in banter, the one and only Daniel Feinberg. What's up, Dan? What is up, Leslie? I don't know, man. Dodgers losing to the Cubs right now. The Red Sox look like they'd gotten off the schneid with the weekend sweep of the of the Devil Rays. They'll always be the Devil Rays to me, uh, but then promptly dropped a doubleheader to the Tigers. So, oh well. Oh, the Tigers. And we're just talking baseball because uh, th- there's no TV news worth discussing, right, Leslie? Oh, not at all. I mean, it wasn't, as usual, another busy week on the news front. But if you want, I can run through some headlines. I Is that what like, you're teeing me up for here, Dan? I would like that, Leslie. Well, let's do that before we get into this week's top five. Well, leading off the week, The Good Fight is back for a fourth season on CBS All Access. The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel creators have lined up their next drama for Amazon, and it's going to be, you guessed it, an art drama that is also, yes, a period drama. Homeland creators Howard Gordon and Alex Gonza have left their longtime home at 20th Century Fox, meaning Disney, for a big lucrative deal at Sony. That still sounds weird no matter how many times you say it. Absolutely. Giancarlo Esposito has said season six of Better Call Saul will be the end, which AMC says is premature to confirm. Well, if Giancarlo Esposito doesn't know, who would possibly know? I mean, he's a series regular on that show. I don't know who would know. Showtime's doing a four-part docuseries exploring the stars who cut their chops at the comedy store. Ooh, that would be really good material to do like a a scripted show about, say, for example, the comedy scene in the 1970s. Uh, Do you feel you're someone should recommend that to Showtime? Yeah, you know, I think they might be familiar with that, Dan. Yeah, but I mean, in in a larger sense, it feels like the only headlines anyone is talking about this week is honestly Game of Thrones and Avengers Endgame. I mean, it just feels like that's where pop culture is right now. And so as a result, we're going to talk about neither of those two things in this week's five headlines. That's right. With so much going on across the TV landscape, Dan and I are here on the podcast to go beyond those top headlines and offer a deep dive into some of the bigger issues this week. With all that out of the way, let's get into our five topics. Number one. Leading off this week, the CW did something that it has never done before in network history. With renewals for All-American, Roswell, and In the Dark, its entire freshman class is coming back. And that's all five shows joining Charmed and Legacies, which were renewed earlier this year. So five rookies joining its entire slate, save for iZombie, Jane the Virgin, and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. CW is bringing it all back. That network will not have a single cancellation this May. That is crazy. And it's one of those things that sounds like it's good news and 100% yay hoorah. And I'm not in any particular way convinced that it is. (laughs) To me, it feels like there's a certain abdication of responsibility here where they're kind of deciding that maybe their brand or the most important thing about their brand is going to be that they're going to have original programming going at all times, which is a fine thing, except that whatever I normally criticize about the CW If you ask me which of the five broadcast networks has the best sense of what their brand is, I would almost always say that it's the the CW. CW. And whether it's even if when it's a bifurcated brand, you know, at this point, if you'd asked me last year, I would have said their brand is on one hand, 75 DC related superhero shows. And on the other hand, these lower rated but critically acclaimed shows that in the past might have been on the WB. And I would have said that's what the brand is. It, It makes sense. But part of maintaining a brand 
is curating the brand. And, and I feel like there's an abdication of it when you're picking up things like, and I don't want to use it as a, you know, whipping dog or whipping horse or whatever, whipping boy, um, whipping a dead dog, whipping a dead horse. Let's just stop talking about animals. Sorry, I'm just, I'm just messing up my idioms as much as humanly possible. Yeah, when you bring back something like In the Dark, because In the Dark is to me an utterly failed attempt at doing the sort of WB show that the CW frequently tries and bless them for it, but they've had at least a dozen better versions in the past five to 10 years that have been canceled after one season or occasionally two. And and then there's the rumors of, that they were going to do an Everwood reboot with Greg Berlanti at the helm of it. I mean, it, nothing ever came from that, but it was at the same time, it's like if you're trying to be the old WB network, then just be the old WB. Everyone else is doing it, right? NBC's got Will and Grace and a bazillion other reboots across the dial. Just do it. Yeah. So when the CW says we want to have programming every night, that's great. But when part of that is keeping something like In the Dark around, something like The Outpost, which premiered over the summer and, you know, was really just a a cheap as hell Canadian fantasy knockoff and, you know, was kind of embarrassingly amateurish, but wasn't really a CW show per se. It was just a thing they aired. But they either have to be showing an active hand in saying what the brand of the network is, or they're just throwing up their arms and saying whatever. And it's hard for us to know because as we always say, they're sort of straddling that in between space between uh, Netflix and the broadcast networks, wherein we know what their ratings are. We just know that they don't care what their ratings are. Right. I mean, for those not familiar, the CW's business model is not reliant on linear ratings. This is a network that is owned by, it's in the name, CW, CBS Television Studios, and Warner Brothers, C and W. So the shows that it airs are either from Warner Brothers or from CBS TV Studios, like Jane the Virgin was a, a CBS show, and so was Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. But in a larger sense, these are, you know, this network exists to, to sell this stuff internationally to sell it in SVOD deals. But what I'm really curious about is in the long term of the CW, because you have the Netflix deal that the CW has for output is basically all of their shows wind up going on Netflix. And we have saw what it did with Riverdale between seasons one and two. Season one ends. It was a decent success for CW. It gets released on Netflix, becomes a monster hit over the summer. When it returns for season two, it gets the Netflix bump and is up. I can't remember what the numbers were, but it was something like 30 or 40 percent in the CW's key demos. And that's what they're hoping with shows like All American, which is on Netflix right now and getting good buzz. But when that Netflix deal expires, that's what I'm curious about the future of the CW. Because right now, when you look at their slate, they've got a lot of reboots, which are great for them because it comes, they're cheaper to market. It comes with a built-in awareness. And more importantly, you can sell Dynasty worldwide because people know what Dynasty is and you know what to expect. So it doesn't matter how many cast changes that show has had. And I've lost track. But at the same time, it's already pre-sold based on the, on the title. So without a Netflix deal, you need to rely on IP. So when you look at their pilot orders this year, and a lot of those things are already going to be earmarked as part of the Netflix deal, which expires next year, like that's why they're, they're looking at stuff like Lost Boys and, a, and another DC show and a Riverdale spinoff. I mean, these are now valuable IPs. Like of, I think it's of all six pilots that the CW has this year, only one is an original idea. And, and that, to me, makes it all the more important that they nurture the shows that are actually original 
all the more. Which and is why I don't mind seeing a renewal for, for some of the bubble shows. Like, I mean, look, in the, to your point, In the Dark is a show that they believe in the creative. That's why it got a season two halfway through its first season. All American, they're hoping, is a show that gets a Netflix bump over, you know, between seasons one and two. But at the same time, you know, this is when you look at the CW's big picture, I mean, I don't know what Bulletproof is, but that's a show that exists this summer on the CW. They've got this thing called Burden of, of Truth, which I think is has the, the woman that fans love from Smallville. And I can't tell you what the hell the outpost is, but I know that all three of those shows are low cost Canadian acquisitions that they stick on in the summer. And as the CW shifts its programming, continues to shift its programming strategy toward year round originals. What are you more inclined to watch? A scripted drama from Greg Berlanti or whatever the f*** Bulletproof is. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to curse, but I really don't know what Bulletproof is. Well, I don't know what Bulletproof is. I could tell you what Burden of Truth is, and you really could have read my... I'm okay with that. You really could have read my review in The Hollywood Reporter, and I think that's where you have to... And that's where, to me canceling things comes into play because canceling things is a way of the network saying we are distinguishing between this thing and this other thing. And so Burden of Truth, I don't think it's a great show, but I kind of understand why it would fit with the CW's brand. It has Kristen Kruk, who's beloved to fans of the network from both Smallville, as you mentioned, but also for Beauty and the Beast, which I, I think there's at least a 25% chance that show is still airing original episodes. I, I, can't, <laughs> I can't prove to you that it's not, except that she has another show, but this is 2019, people can do that. Well, okay, so if you have that kind of show where you're like, okay, I see how that's on the brand, then maybe you need to be canceling other things so you can say, this doesn't live up to our standards, this doesn't live up to what we want to do. And I think it's a problem, honestly, with a lot of CW shows and with a lot of WBTV shows where I don't know that there's a strong enough creative hand in steering them. Uh, to, to me, In the Dark never should have made it on the air in its current form. Somebody should have looked at that pilot from a script stage and said, here's what works, here's what doesn't work, this does not work, concentrate on this, make it better. And that should have happened at the script stage, it should have happened at the pilot stage, it should have happened immediately by the second episode, and it didn't. And something like All American, which I think is a show that still has a lot of potential, but I also would have liked to have seen it getting better in its first season, and I didn't. I, I saw a lot of times it was taking shortcuts, and I think there has to be a stronger creative hand, and part of that comes from canceling things that don't work. And so I think keeping All American, keeping a burden of proof, those make sense to me. Keeping an outpost, keeping a in the dark, those muddy the brand. And it's not for me to tell the CW how to run their network. It's just for me to say, as I perceive the network, some things are good for the way I perceive the network and its brand, other things annoy me. Right, but maybe there's hope for the creative in season in the second half of In the Dark. Maybe that becomes a show that in its second season airs in late April or May or June. Maybe the creative is better, but more importantly, maybe the, the financials of that are more interesting because that's a show that you can still sell internationally. If, I don't know how it works, but if you can sell that to Netflix and offset whatever cost you're, you're putting into that versus a show like The Outpost where you're just paying to air it and then that's it. It's not a revenue generator for you in any way. Maybe that's that's part of the business model. Okay, but then if that's what I'm curious about. But if you're doing both of them, then you're not distinguishing between one and the other. Right. So maybe we're going to start to see them doing less of these Canadian acquisitions and more true year-round scripted originals. And I mean, they, they've got some good unscripted stuff that, that's been pretty stable for them in the summer, which for our listeners that don't know, the most 
TV viewing decreases in the summer because, well, it's beautiful outside and people need to go out and go to movies and do other things. So when you do, a, you know, a good, you have a good unscripted brand, but then you're pairing it with some of these, you know, Canadian shows that, that don't cut through and aren't, to your point, that don't make sense for the brand in, in a big picture. Maybe you do originals then instead. Maybe In the Dark becomes your perfect June show to pair with whose line is it anyway. I don't know. We will definitely be back with future What the Bleep is Up with the CW segments in future podcasts. Well, for our next topic this week, we have an update in the Jesse Smollett saga. Number two. With executives at Disney and Fox making decisions on bubble shows in the, in the coming weeks, a lot of executives are now looking at whether to bring back Empire for a sixth season. These are the conversations that are happening in the top offices over at Disney, which now owns the show, and at New Fox, which is now being controlled by Charlie Collier as the network heads into its future as an independent broadcaster. Aware that these are the meetings that are happening now, Empire stars, including Terrence Howard and Taraji P. Henson, sent a letter to Charlie Collier, Dana Walden, Michael Thorne, Lee Daniels, and Danny Strong, and other producers, encouraging them to bring the embattled actor back for a potential sixth season. I, the, this whole story just, oh, if I had three eyebrows, I would raise all three eyebrows. Uh, and none of it makes any difference to me because I'm not going to watch but it still is it's it's just spiraling and spiraling the the upcoming showtime four-part documentary of mikes and men about the wu-tang clan the fourth episode a lot of it focuses on the notorious once upon a time in shaolin album the one-of-a-kind album that the wu-tang clan basically cobbled together, mostly the RZA and one of their producers, and then sold for $2 million to disgraced pharmaceutical asswipe Martin Shirelli. And one of the things is that after like 10 minutes of people talking about what a disgrace this album is, RZA comes on, he looks a little bit sheepish, and he says, yeah, it wasn't good, but it got the Wu-Tang brand out there with roughly $25 million worth of free publicity for us, and... That's a thing of value. Well, I'm I'm kind of feeling the same way about Empire and with Jesse Smollett. It, th- this is an awful situation where we still don't know what the true story is. We don't know anything about the true story. But one thing we do know is that people are definitely talking about Empire much more than they were last year at this time. And I guess if you're New Fox... Is there value in that? Yeah, that's the big question is, you know, to your point, it's is any press good press? And I think what we've seen in the past, especially for a company like Disney, bad press isn't good press for Disney. This is a a company that is very, very aware of its brand and is very protective of it. I mean, when you think Disney, you think family friendly. I mean, when you saw the, you know, that what was it, three hour, almost four hour presentation for Disney Plus? co-viewing, family. These are the big takeaways. They want family-friendly fare. They don't want controversy. And I don't know how a network like New Fox is going to do that. I mean, what, from everything that I'm, I'm hearing right now as, as these conversations about what Fox is going to renew and, and pilots it'll pick up is they want to be considered the scrappy underdog. And I think when you see Charlie Collier's first order being a 90210 revival that's has the you know a lot of the original stars playing heightened versions of themselves shopping a reboot of 90210 that to me screams hey we want to take some risks and we want to reinvent what people think of Fox and at the same time this is a show that they don't own 
this is now a, Empire is now a Disney owned show. So how those two things go together, how new Fox has to pay a licensing fee to Disney for Empire. I don't know. I don't know how you how you do that. And I think one thing is for sure is that I would love to be a fly on the wall in those conversations, because how do you bring back this show? How do you market the show when your star is is surrounded in controversy? How does he do his job effectively. I mean, when I have something that's bothering me, I struggle to do my job. You know, when the Dodgers are getting creamed in the playoffs, I come in here and I'm grouchy. So when Jesse Smollett's being sued, how does he show up to work? I mean, I know these folks are paid millions of dollars to put on a happy face and do their job and play make-believe, but I, I don't know how how that doesn't impact the show, even with the you know the backing of, of the entire cast, which is wonderful to see, by the way. It's, it's sweet to see. You'd always rather see that than the entire cast signing a note saying that we won't come back if you bring back Jazzy Smollett and I wouldn't have expected them to do that. Several of them have been known for trouble in their own past and know there but for the grace of God go they so might as well get behind Jesse in this case. I, I think that you hate to be callous about this but Empire could be renewed without Jesse Smollett and you would know that basically it would premiere next year with the only coverage being a shrug or it could be renewed with Jesse Smollett, and you know that there would be coverage in THR and other various publications going, how are they handling it? What does it look like? Can you look at the actors and tell that they're uncomfortable with what's happening? So you'll get coverage for it. And that's a strange way of doing business. I, I, do, you, do you think that the decision is really going to come down to kind of who has the control in this situation between the sort of Disney-owned 20th and New Fox? Like, do you think New Fox probably, all things considered, would want this back? And and 20th would, all things considered, probably just as soon avoid the publicity? I mean, look, it's still a massive hit. It's Fox's number two overall drama in adults 18 to 49, which is the demo that is the most appealing for ad buyers. It's number two on the network behind 911, which has already been renewed. So, you know, and at the same time, Fox is a network that has the baseball play, Major League Baseball playoffs, Thursday night football, wrestling on Fridays. It has a reduced shelf space for scripted originals next year. Where does this fit in what the new Fox strategy is? That's the question that I don't know. And when you look at some of their pilots, it's not Empire. You know, so do you bring Empire back and Star, the spinoff that no one talks about back? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I mean, but I think it's definitely a big conversation that I would love to be privy to. But I think that's to me, that's one of the biggest questions heading into the broadcast upfronts uh, in mid-May. Like the only reason I know Star is still on television is because our offices are on the same floor as their production offices. That is the only reason I know that show still exists. And because we see Lee Daniels from time to time in Every his pajamas. Every once in a while, yeah. he pops into the bathroom in his pajamas. But otherwise, I would not know that show existed anymore. Yeah. But either way, look, the show is is really set up to, to do what it's going to do with, with Jesse Smollett. I mean, this week's episode saw his character, spoiler alert, get married. So they could <gasps> easily write him off if into the sunset if they wanted to. They could have him on an extended honeymoon as they figure it out. Maybe he's suspended if the show comes back for season six. You know, maybe he's suspended for a certain number of episodes. I don't know, because, you know, if this, you know, he's being sued, if there's a trial, I mean, that's time away from production. That's a whole other mess. You know, I, I don't know. Is I, Jamal still on his honeymoon? Yes. OK, let's move on to the next plot line. I don't know. <laughs> I don't, but it's look, either way, it's definitely a story worth worth monitoring. And, and you know, in, in a larger sense, I love seeing a cast unite together. I mean, Big Bang Theory did it a couple of years ago when Melissa Rauch and Maya Bialik were in extended contract negotiations and they couldn't get 
they're trying to get salary parity with Kaylee and Johnny and Jim. And the original stars basically said, you know what, if the studio won't give them the same money, we're going to take cuts so that we're all on the same page. So we're going to give them money from our pocket to bring them up to what we're making and it all balances out. And when a cast does that, I mean, I think that's something special and worth mentioning. So that's all I got on that topic. Feels like a good note to move on to our third topic this week. And it's been a busy one over at HBO, another of our favorite networks to discuss. Number three. This week alone, HBO picked up Avenue 5, the space comedy starring Hugh Laurie and produced by Veep creator Armando Iannucci. They also picked up a Lakers drama called Showtime, which I will never get over HBO doing a show called Showtime. And they're currently casting for actors to play Magic Johnson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and coach Pat Riley as it reteams with succession director Adam McKay for a scripted drama about the 1980s era L.A. Lakers. I believe we need to contractually refer to that as THR award-winning culture columnist Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And noted reality superfan Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Meanwhile, HBO also cast Laura Donnelly of Outlander to play a lead role in Joss Whedon's The Nevers, a Victorian drama that will mark the Buffy grad's first TV series that he has created since Fox's Dollhouse. And if that wasn't enough, Brian Cogman this week told THR's Josh Wiggler that his Game of Thrones successor show is no longer active. So that's down to, I think, four out of the five scripts remain in contention. And of course, one of them is a pilot starring Naomi Watts. So that's a a big week in HBO scripted development. And at the same time, you've got Barry and Veep, who are both crushing their current seasons, kind of almost being overshadowed by the final season of Game of Thrones. Yeah, this is not a a what the bleep is up with HBO segment, because I feel like we just did that a couple weeks ago. This is mostly a here. HBO had a really, really busy week. Let's see what we can sort of glean from it, because things at all sorts of stages of of development, Uh, you know, an actual series order for Avenue five. And the fact is that if you are offering me a a space comedy from Armando Iannucci starring Hugh Laurie, Josh Gad and Zach Woods, I will be watching that. I will be watching that eagerly. And that would be the kind of thing where if it hadn't gone to series, the raised eyebrows would have been far greater than the alternative. Then you have this Lakers series where... And that's to be clear, that's it's a pilot yes, that's, that's currently casting. Just a pilot. And the casting is going to be so crucial. The, the casting is going to be everything. And I will be very, very curious as to how they actually handle it because I want to see the casting process for for a six foot nine actor in Hollywood with a killer skyhook. I think well those are two different people did you just combine Magic Johnson and Kareem well isn't Kareem six foot nine Kareem's seven foot one or seven foot two well Magic six foot nine apologies to Kareem but I want to see the casting breakdowns for for I want to see like the list of actors who can do a headshot and are six foot nine or seven foot one. I think you can definitely cast a little bit lower than that. I think you can probably cast someone who's say six, four or six, five as magic and someone who's six, six or six, seven is Kareem. You know, you don't necessarily need to have them the exact heights. It's a tough thing to do. And the question of how much actual basketball they're going to include is, is a huge one. You look at a great show like survivor's remorse on stars. They played basically no basketball on that show. They never got on the court with the players. They rarely went back in the locker room with the players. They were rarely in uniform or 
saying anything at all about the actual basketball. This sounds, at least in theory, like it's going to be a little bit more basketball-y than that. Uh, right. HBO <laughs> describes it as an exploration of, of one of basketball's most dominant dynasties, both on the court and off. And in his quote about the project, Adam McKay said it will explore topics including sexism, racism, tragedy, redemption, no-look passes, and a giant cultural shift in America. That, to me, sounds like must-watch. It sounds great. Or uh, a slam dunk. Of, <laughs> Yes, get the get the idiom right. Uh, yeah, the the no look passes part is though is the hardest part of that though. You you can always talk about sports, but showing sports is where it gets complicated. So really, it is going to come down hugely to casting. And Adam McKay is extremely talented. And uh, I want to put in a plug for Succession for Emmy consideration because I feel like not enough people are talking about it and remember that it's actually still part of this award cycle because it the first season came out so very long ago and really it was one of the best things on TV last year. Seconded. So. And you remember HBO put all of its Emmy marketing campaign behind something else, Sharp Objects. Well, Sharp Objects and a little show called Game of Thrones, which Succession will be going head to head with for no reason because Succession is a comedy and should not be. Instead, that means it should be going head to head with Veep. Barry and Veep. So really and truly, HBO is just in one of those uh, luxury problems kind of things. And I feel bad that that leaves Succession out of the mix, because if you ask me between all of those four shows, it's the best of them. But that's really? just my opinion. Succession is the best out of out of what? Out of uh, Game of Thrones, Veep, and Barry, Succession is my and and Sharp Objects. If you look at my top ten from last year, Succession outranked all of them. And if you ask me right now, well, Game of Thrones wasn't on last year. It wasn't, but oh, I, well, I prefer Succession to Game of Thrones in general. Wow, rather significantly. Wow, Dan, putting yourself out there. I, whatever, I'm just, gotta gotta own my opinions. And nothing nothing else. If if I'm not doing that, what exactly am I on this podcast for? Uh, <laughs> But but yes, so and we are in the middle of a, a very good last season for Veep, which has been caustic and, you know, on the nose in terms of its satirical targets uh, as well as ever. And it's been a transitional season for Barry as it's basically gone from being a half hour comedy with dramatic elements to pretty much a half hour drama that HBO is still going to pretend is a comedy, even though it's not funny. But that doesn't mean it's not good because it turns out that Bill Hader's a really, really good dramatic actor. Last week's episode, he was about as scary and intense and dramatic as I've ever seen him before. So there's a lot of good stuff. And then I believe we both have been enjoying at least the early episodes of Gentleman Jack, which is a, a drama that HBO kind of just grabbed and hey look there it is it's very good i'm all in on gentleman jack it's sally wainwright who's the creator of the show is so ridiculously talented if she were an american showrunner she would be in the pantheon and she just happens to be in the pantheon on the other side of the atlantic but she's incredibly talented and the show is weirdly fun for a period drama it is it is a jaunty and entertaining show which it wouldn't necessarily you would wouldn't necessarily think it would be based on the premise. Dan, you use my favorite word, jaunty. Jaunty is a good and word. I think it's a perfect word to describe Gentleman Jack. Well, that feels like a good opportunity to move on to our fourth topic this week. Let's take a look at what's going on in the live space at the broadcast networks. Number four. Late last week, ABC announced that Jimmy Kimmel and comedy god Norman Lear are rebooting The Jeffersons and All in the Family as part of a 90-minute star-studded production set to air May 22nd. This is basically the next evolution 
in TV's live musical format. So you don't have any single live musicals on tap for 2019. And now ABC is throwing its hat with a 90-minute presentation now with both comedies, star-studded casts, incredible casts. And this is, from everything that I've told, Fox is also trying to do the same, with whether it be a scripted comedy they do live in terms of a series. So basically think if Undateable on NBC a couple of years ago was actually planned to be live from the very, very start and including commercials or something like that, too. And Fox is also trying to do stuff that what I'm told is basically a jukebox in which if you think of the Dolly Parton specials that NBC aired a couple of years ago, where you kind of take an artist's musical library and turn it into a scripted movie, but you do it live instead of what NBC did. That's also something that Fox is considering. I mean, it's an interesting evolution to the live marketplace right now. You did not make that sound any more logical to me by explaining it. So I will be very curious to see what it is. It's a good idea. And it's a good idea for any number of reasons. If you're in L.A you know that one of the things that's been happening for a few years now is Jason Reitman staging these live readings of classic movies with basically his friends. And he has some rather famous friends. And so he gets these fantastic casts. They do one-time only readings of these movies on stage and people love them. People think they're absolutely fantastic. I don't know why you wouldn't attempt to do that on TV. And you're probably not going to know the answer to this, but I'm still going to ask you anyway. So feel free to just say, oh, do you have any clue what the copyright situation is on this? Like how it differs from doing a remake of it to just do a 90 minute reading of one of these things? Well, I mean, I don't know that it's going to be a reading. I think they're going to recreate these. That's from my understanding. I mean, I'm not entirely sure, but from everything that it sounds to me is you're going to see Woody Harrelson playing Archie Bunker and Marissa Tomei as Edith and Wanda Sykes as George Jefferson's wife. And of course, Jamie Foxx is going to play George Jefferson. I mean, if you're just doing a reading, to me, why do you want to see a bunch of actors sitting there on a stage doing a reading? Well, you'd find a way to mix it up a little bit. I think that I really did just assume it was going to be in the vein of the Jason Reitman things where people sit on a stage and read it. And I would watch that. I would watch that without hesitation. But there's no real need to do that live, especially when you've got Kimmel and Norman Lear, who are both going to be hosting this. And look, ABC's hope is to turn this into a franchise. The name of the actual project is called Live in Front of a Studio Audience. In this case, Sony is participating. So there's where your rights issue comes in. Sony acquired the rights to Norman Lear's library as part of a large overall deal with him a couple of years ago. And the hope for ABC is in success that Kimmel has other comedies in mind to recreate with live star-studded casts. It's smart. I mean, I remember, what was it, the 30 Rock episode a few years ago that was live? Everyone was talking about that. I think it's a great idea. I just do wonder how much staging is going to be involved because it's one thing to say to Woody Harrelson, here you can sit on a stage or even walk around a stage holding the script in your hand and whatever, and it'll be maybe loosely staged for whatever purpose versus doing it as an actual play. Like the difference in rehearsals is multiple months to avoid embarrassment on TV versus a week, you know, and I think you get a much higher grade of talent, the less staging and memorization is required. So I would be very curious to see how minimalist they try to keep it simply because I think it's an incentive. I think you can get almost anybody to come in and do a pseudo read. I think you can get many fewer people to come in and do a one night play of something. So that would be all I would wonder is how simple they can make it so that you can keep getting people like Woody Harrelson and Jamie Foxx and Marissa Tomei, people who would not necessarily want to give up 
four months of their schedule to make sure they get this perfect, but who might get a kick out of the roughness of it. And I think that would be where my interest would be and not so much the restaging of a sitcom starring these people in a polished form, but just to see if you put Woody Harrelson in a live stage production, how high does he seem to be when he's up on stage and you know how much fun is he having with it? I would want to see them having fun, not him being perfect. So that would be what I would be looking for, I think. Yeah, and that's exactly why they're probably doing this. And look, we're going to find out one way or the other, May 22nd. In a big picture of this, this is the latest push by the broadcast networks for relevancy. I mean, these are networks that are struggling with scripted shows. I mean, outside of a show like This Is Us and Big Bang Theory, you don't really have something that dominates the conversation. And neither one of those shows really do to the same point that they once did now. But right now, the way that we talk about Game of Thrones, every single episode in that final season is a water cooler, must see, watch live, or you will get spoiled and things will be up in the air. You know, and this experience will be ruined. It's the same thing that people are talking about Avengers Endgame this weekend. And broadcast networks are struggling for their place in that water cooler conversation. And live programming and moving beyond the hate watching of a live musical and doing a scripted comedy, for example, is a new way that networks are trying to bust DVRs and get you, the viewer, to tune in and get 8,000 other advertisers to buy money as part of this 90-minute special. And, you know, look, it's an interesting idea. And I think this is just the beginning. You know, this year we saw ABC expand the live episodes of American Idol and The Bachelor. They're doing the NFL Draft Live. We're seeing a lot of these broadcasters try, take bigger swings when it comes to live programming. And there's still musicals in the works, just nothing's set for this year. And honestly, for me, anything where I see the news and my reaction is, huh, that seems odd makes me happy when it comes to a broadcast network. It doesn't matter if I think, oh, that's the best idea in the world or, oh, that's the worst idea in the world. This one is much closer to the best idea in the world. But anything that actually shakes me out of my, oh, it's just another remake of complacency is good. And I can't be the only one who feels that way. I, you know, I may watch more TV than most people, but I think most people feel the same way that anything that kind of causes us to reread a headline and go, that doesn't make any sense. Taking a risk. Let's see what Fox is doing with the 90210 thing. That's a risk. We'll see. I, it will either feel like a risk when we actually see it or it will feel like not. I don't know that we have a clue yet what that is going to be. But no, this is good. And I'm very, very curious to see what it is. And the talent assembled is spectacular. Yeah, spectacular. Well, as always, we wrap things up with our weekly Critics Corner segment. This week, Netflix launches Tony Goldwyn and Uma Thurman thriller Chambers. CBS turns to Ava DuVernay and Greg Berlanti for Noah Wiley vehicle The Red Line. And hey, Dan, I'm not sure if you heard this, but Game of Thrones is just dominating the conversation. Number five. If you ask me what the thing is to watch in the next week, the answer really is going to be this Sunday's Game of Thrones. The big uh, battle of Winterfell. Which we anticipate and which everyone is really excited about. It's going to be 82 minutes of nonstop action. And, and lots of deaths. We are so expecting. many deaths. Uh, we're going to be disappointed if there aren't five or ten major deaths or semi-major or minor but recognizable. If it just turns out to be a bunch of red shirts and zombies, I don't think anyone is going to be happy with that. And given the first two episodes of the season really were completely and totally build up to whatever's going to happen on Sunday, it puts a probably an unfair amount of pressure on this one episode. But, you know, who, who is actually a fan of this show, is not going to be watching Sunday night's episode completely and totally live. This is not a, I'm going to tune in a minute late and start zipping through so I don't have to watch the credits. 
the minute the episode is airing, I am going to be watching it because I don't want anything in the world to spoil this episode for me. And there's nothing else coming this week that I can say that about. I can tell you that the red line on CBS, as you say, it comes from executive producers Ava DuVernay and Greg Berlanti, but neither is actually a writer or director on the show. So they're producers. And it is a better than average broadcast network show in 2019. It really does want to be about politics and law and order and justice in Chicago. It's very on the nose. It's very broadcast network trying to do a serious cable drama, but not quite being able to. On the other hand, I don't want to tell a broadcast network that they shouldn't be trying. And this is one that they are clearly trying on. And so I give it credit for that, full credit for that. And Chambers is another kind of binge-friendly, nutty Netflix show. It's not very good, but if you already made it through the OA and you're kind of perplexed that whatever that strange Scandinavian show was, The Innocence, that no one's mentioned it since it premiered, but you really like shows with a lot of mythology and kooky, wacky things happening, and in this case, the kooky, wacky things involve horror, supernatural, Native American mysticism, all manner of things. They're all happening here, and as I tweeted when I got to the end, I sat through 45 minutes of the finale going, this is horrible, why am I watching that? And suddenly, with 30 seconds to go, it got to the quote unquote point of the season. And I'm like, oh man, now I kind of want to see where it's going next season. And that to me is peak TV all over. (laughs) Well, that's a ringing endorsement, Dan. I try. Well, as always, that's it for us this week. Dan and I will be back next week with all things TV. Thank you for listening to TV's Top 5, the Hollywood Reporter's TV podcast. And if you like us, be sure to check out Josh Wiggler's genre-focused podcast, Series Regular, covering all things Game of Thrones, and Scott Feinberg's amazing awards chatter, which next week will feature special guest Allison Brie as Emmy season continues its run. And if you really like us... Go and rate us on your favorite podcast platform. If you really, really like us, write a review. Talk to us on Twitter. We're happy to talk to you. Tell your friends on Twitter. We're happy to see it. And if you have questions for future mailbags or just want to tell us we got something very, very wrong, our podcast email address is tvstop5 at thr.com. Email us. Until next week, Leslie. Until next week, Dan. 